Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Laura about our inner critic and the concept of ambiguity. Enjoy. Laura, so wonderful to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Mm, such a pleasure to be here. Ah, Laura, yes. Laura and I have met in a retreat, in a sandbox retreat. And I think that must have been about three years ago. Mm. It was a retreat in Portugal, in the beautiful hills of Portugal. And I specifically remember that we started connecting more than just like having a random chat when both of us were quite afraid or let's say resistant to crossing a very large and very cold river that we were supposed to hike through. And I remember that the whole group was like, yep, yeah, sure. We're going to do this. No problem. And there were two people who were like, mm, I don't know. And that was us. And um, I feel that since that moment, after then we, we started talking and we interacted more and we stayed in touch and we had many beautiful experiences together. So uh, that's kind of like what, what binds us, I feel. <laughs> and to give people some perspective, um, I feel Laura is someone who has an incredible capacity for conversation. She's so attentive and present to conversations and she has really good questions. And she also always has some wisdom to share. Uh, so I think in every single conversation I've had with Laura, I have learned something. And I truly appreciate that. Laura, welcome. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, dear. And thank you for the reminder of that experience in Portugal. It really... Mm, I, I remember the resistance and I remember the beauty that came after that. And, and yeah, we, a lot has happened since. Mm, <laughs> so true. Oh, Laura, we are here today for a conversation about relating to self. And my first question is always the same. And very often it's also the last question because then the conversation just ensues. The question is, when you hear these words, relating to self, the way you relate to yourself, what is it that that means for you? What comes up? Mm. Yeah, beautiful question. I... And the first thought that comes to mind is that it's, it's a question that is so essential that I would love to have more spaces dedicated to exploring it because yeah, it's, it's a practice that we really, we cannot choose if we want to engage with it or not. It's, it's a thing that is a given, right? We're constantly relating to ourselves, And I think what we get to choose is how we do that. And if we bring attention to it or not. And yeah, I love that it's a verb this relating, this, yeah, active practice um, versus a static noun, right? Like I also think 
it's often more often depicted as like self-love or self or self-worth things like that it feel more like yeah like big nouns maybe grandiose things that can be projected onto those and and I feel like relating to self is a beautiful phrasing for yeah a daily daily activity to engage on mm. Mm. wow yeah I really love this distinction of having a verb or not a verb as as the term that we're looking at and indeed I agree with you that this idea of having a verb means that it's a practice, something that you have to do, something that you have to engage in. I, I, I really like that. And I also love that you said that you think it's essential, obviously, because, well, I believe the same. And then you said something interesting, that you would like to have more space to engage with that. Does that mean that you feel that currently in your life you don't have enough space for exploring how you relate to yourself? Mm. I think what I meant was like, not only for myself, but for everyone, like public spaces or mm. offerings in which you can intentionally discuss this, which, as I said, I think happens all the time, but maybe not with the level of awareness and attention and intentionality yeah, um, to discuss the topic. So I don't think it's necessarily that I don't have enough space for it, but I feel like it's not, it's not common. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I see. I see what you mean. Well, I am certainly trying to do my part in creating more <laughs> space for this conversation, obviously. And so thank you for, for pointing that out. Um, that's something I'm thinking a lot about these days. And maybe it would be interesting to have a conversation with you about this. How can we foster those spaces? How can we create and nurture safe spaces for people to explore this topic? And well, for me right now, of course, it's, it's kind of limited to these podcast conversations and the, the courses and, and challenges that I run. But I wonder, have you thought about this? Because in, in your work at Google specifically, I remember that you were uh, thinking a lot about community and organizing that. And mm. has there been any part of your professional work that was actually, when you think of it, dedicated to something like relating to self? That's a wonderful question. I, I think the answer is yes. But first, before I maybe dive a bit deeper on like the ways I have contributed to creating those spaces, I want to say that the way I see that everyone can contribute without needing to create a like, complex structure or format around it, it's just by role modeling it and by naming, naming it, right? Like noticing, for example, I don't know, Something that has really helped me is when I feel insecure, when I feel tense about something, which is naming like, oh, I'm noticing this inner critic part in me that is telling me this or like, oh, the story I'm creating about the situation is this and that. And I feel like that also invites other people to do the same, right? Um, if, if, if they see it role models and it brings a bit of space, it doesn't have to be like dedicated space, but just like a way of integrating it into, into daily life, um, which I think is just as powerful as having dedicated spaces mm. and and yeah to the second part of how my professional life has contributed to creating space for this conversation yeah I think the thing that's coming up for me most is this course that we designed that was called life design and it was a two-day workshop around 
well, finding your values, finding your strengths, finding your talents, understanding how you can contribute to something beyond you. And it was really interesting to do that in a setup like, like Google, where, of course, <laughs> people are very busy. There's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of priorities and a lot of urgency. And I think just the choice, making, deciding to take off two full days to dive deeper into yourself, really. Um, with no necessary, like, not, not an attachment to an outcome, right? But like, just, okay, this time is reserved for self-exploration. Um, was very, very powerful. And I really enjoyed holding that space. Mm. Yeah, I love this idea of actually carving out blocks of time uh, yeah. dedicated to exactly this practice, right? And mm. that's something we haven't talked a lot about in, in the conversations here on this podcast yet we've mostly spoken about the other aspect that you mentioned this idea of integrating this practice in daily life um, looking at the daily things that you do and how you can integrate more awareness and, and more kindness into your day when it comes to managing yourself and, and dealing mm -hmm. with yourself but I, i'd love to go a bit deeper in this idea of carving out blocks of time and then really going deep into that subject. Um, mm. First of all, I would love to know, is that something that you have done yourself? And if so, how have you done it? Yes. Um, so yes, definitely. I. So even in the tactical ways um, of like the day to day, I do have calendar blocks every day in which I remind myself to either breathe or do my gratitude practice or like even affirmations, I don't know, different practices that I do. So I carve out time in my day for that. And, and I find for myself that having that visually like in the calendar helps me to honor it. And, and the times I skip it, it's also an interesting, <laughs> interesting question, right? Like, why do I skip this reminders, but I don't skip the other meetings that are <laughs> equally labeled in my, in my calendar, right? And like those times I know I'm not prioritizing myself and, and it's okay, but it's good to strengthen that awareness. And in terms of carving out larger chunks of time, definitely. I think a, a big, big part of my practice over the past year, especially has been attending week-long retreats in which you really dive deep into different parts of your personality or different parts of, yeah, your life that you want to rediscover maybe in a different light. Um, and I think, yeah, I think having longer periods of time, maybe removed from your day-to-day -day, really allows you to Yeah, allow, just discover a level of depth that isn't possible maybe, or is, is more challenging in the context of your usual life where there's a lot of different external demands and a lot of different stimuli and, and your brain is just in a different, different operating mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you said something really interesting there that I want to point out first, this idea of having relating to self time carved out in your calendar, actually, right? With blocks mm. that are dedicated to, like you said, breathing or gratitude or other practices. I think that's really beautiful and something that I do not practice. Yeah. To be honest, I also don't feel that I need to do that because my practices are strong enough in themselves to kind of like be present in my life without scheduling them. But mm. I do know that for many, many people that would mean the difference between doing them and not doing them, just yes. having them scheduled, right? 
Um, but then, yeah, I want to also acknowledge what you said about these like bigger blocks of time and, and how those are different from the small practices in the sense that I feel that there's something very meaningful about also doing that with other people. Yes. And very often the kind of spaces that you describe are spaces like retreats and, you know, there's other mm -hmm. people who are there with a similar goal perhaps, or at least a similar intention. Mm. And I feel that has always also helped me to get into the kind of state of mind that becomes more conductive to learning or to practicing. And I wonder if, if that's something that you actively have researched through that as well, this idea of community or shared group practices. Yes, for sure. I think in addition to what you're saying of like having a shared intention, it's also a shared context in that mostly people don't know each other or it's a new constellation that comes together for that purpose and then dissolves. And I feel there is, um, there is something about discovering who you are in a new environment too, right? Like apart from whatever the, the container is about, like the content and the practices that are offered, like just who are you when, when you're surrounded by people that are completely new to you and, and how do you choose to show up and which parts are, are coming up, right? Um, in terms of collective practices, hmm. yeah, I wonder, I wonder if you're thinking of something specific or, or what is your idea? It would help me to know if, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say that <laughs> I felt something really beautiful when, when you described this idea of discovering how you show up to a group of new people. Uh, it felt like such a sense of adventure there where, where you can kind of like um, just reimagine yourself or, or kind of look at yourself with curiosity mm. and from a perspective almost of a meta perspective, I would say, just, just looking at then how you appear to these other people. That's such an interesting, beautiful way to put that. Um, I mean, I know the, the experience, I know the feeling, but I've never really thought about it in that way to mm. do it so, um, so intentionally and with so much awareness. So that's really beautiful. I, I think I want to experience that soon. Mm. Um, looking at myself <laughs> with that curiosity and yeah, about the group practice, I, I was just curious, um, as to if there were any group practices that you specifically, uh, seek out, like, you know, some people maybe say once a year I go for a meditation retreat or for a Vipassana or something like that. Other people go on yoga group practices. And I was wondering if there's anything specific that you feel works better for you in a group than just on your own. Mm, definitely. Okay. Thank you for yeah, rephrasing that. I, I feel like, well, before, before those group practices became very, very rare in person, I would say I would go to like yeah, either yoga retreats or meditation retreats or well, like the sandbox retreat that you mentioned uh, in Portugal, just experiences in community, maybe once every month or every two months. So I would say it was definitely something that I sought out intentionally. And I think, yeah, I think the element is, is that is like the, how does my personal relating also like, like the relationship that I'm cultivating with myself, how can I hold that in a space with, with other people mm. where also, I think it's also around boundaries. I think I believe that I need a lot of space for myself 
um, in order to digest. That's the way in which I re-energize really and recalibrate. It's, it's by being alone. And so my, my growth, growth edge is maintaining that level of connection to myself when I'm surrounded by others yes. constantly, basically. Right. And I think this is, um, yeah, this is one of the key elements that I get from, from those retreats. Does it resonate with you? I see you saying, mm. I hear you saying yes. Yes, very much. I, I think we have the same growth edge there. This idea of keeping the beautiful relationship with yourself that you can cultivate on your own while you're in your own space, in your own world. Keeping that when faced with a group of people who have very different needs, very different ways of interacting, and then having those boundaries is definitely also one of the things that I feel brings a lot of potential for growth and a lot of insights for me. So I'm yeah. very happy that you, that you mentioned that. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is also what our uh, mutual friend Sonia um, brought to the podcast conversation was this idea of relating to self as a practice also needs others to just kind of like mirror certain aspects of who she is to kind yes. of like help, help see yourself through others. And I yes. think that also came up with me when you, when you mentioned those group experiences and retreats. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also the something that I'm still learning and, and which feels quite new to me is being able to hold those perspectives. So the way other people perceive you and also don't take it as a truth, like see it as a lens and, and as one part of the complex, <laughs> the fractal kaleidoscopic things that we are, right? With so many different sides and see like, oh, this is your, how you perceive me. And there's probably another way of perceiving me too. And like, what is it that I take and what is it that I don't take? And yeah, learning how to be open enough to expand my sense of self through the input of others was also remaining, yeah, not having to take everything, right? Like, like yeah, that sense of openness with also maybe an element of discerning what what serves us and what doesn't yeah yeah that's beautiful uh, what comes up for me is something like not being attached to the mm. stories you have about yourself but at the same mm. time staying close to who you are in the moment mm. Mm. yes ah, i realize now i i missed that experience <laughs> 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 um but we'll mm. we'll get to that um, Laura, I would love to go into another theme, something you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier in the conversation. You mentioned your inner critic. <laughs> and <laughs> that is, you know, that is one of the many concepts that, that we talk about often on this podcast. And I would love to know if there are specific areas of your relationship with yourself that are difficult for you, and if those are related to your inner critic. Mm. Yes, there's definitely areas that are challenging for me still. And I feel like that will be always, that will always be the case. Um, yeah, I expect it to be a dynamic, like a dance, right? And, and have periods in which it feels very smooth and very in flow and have periods in which I feel challenged. And I, I, yeah. So I think it's, it's normal. And I take away the pressure that I sometimes have felt of like, Oh, I was so consistent with my meditation practice and now it slipped. And, and actually I started seeing like relating to self as a meditation practice in itself, like 
I will lose the connection with myself sometimes. And then just like with, with meditation, where you bring back the attention to your breath, I do the same, right? I bring back the compassion to, to how I relate to myself. And I feel like the existence of the inner critic, yeah, acknowledging that that is there is, is part of the practice and, and giving away my power to it sometimes is, is usual. Um, I think... Yeah, I don't know if I, sh should I go into like what my inner critic tells me and how I deal with that or what would be more supportive to our conversation? Is there anything mm. specific? I think that would be beautiful actually to, to understand more about your inner critic if you're willing to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to share. Um, so I think there's two, two topics that come up most these days for me. One is around, I would say, productivity or the drive to create. And it's almost like it's related to speed too. Like it's, it's this voice of like, I'm not doing enough. I am not, um, yeah, I'm not using all my potential. And and then the critic comes in and, and starts telling me that I should be doing more, that I should be, um, yeah, even more, take on more. I think it's very much around more. And, and here I want to just jump in and honor one of the beautiful teachings that you have brought into my life, which is this idea of, of slowness. And I remember clearly when we, I think it was in Granada, like a couple of years ago, and I was also in this work mode, had just finished um, this big conference, and then we met, and I remember I was doing everything quickly. So I was like, can I quickly shower, and then I quickly do this, and then quickly do that. And you beautifully said, you can take your time. There's no need to do it quickly. Take your time. And that felt revolutionary at the time, like this idea that people would not be disappointed or let down if I take my time and actually that the opposite is true that they want me to be nourished and value me for my capacity to do that to slow down and to take my time and prioritize my needs so yeah mm. just wanted to say that beautiful yeah I I resonate strongly with that <laughs> I think it's important uh, that the people around me indeed feel that they can do things in a way that they feel great about Mm -hmm. So you mentioned two, two topics that your inner mm -hmm. critic is um, active around. One is productivity and a drive to create. And if I may reflect on that, I think mm -hmm. seeing that you have just been nominated for the Forbes 30 under 30 list, I, I very much see that as a very active inner critic because you are incredibly productive and create so many beautiful things already, right? Um, and I recognize that I, I understand how that works, but what's the other area of contention? Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sometimes I, I need that external calibration to, to not fall into the spiral of, <laughs> of doubt. So I really appreciate you offering that. And the second part would be around others. So how others perceive me or how others would react if I prioritize my needs. So this belief that I will disappoint or hurt others 
if I if I do what I really want to do. And yeah, I'm learning to see that this is a story that I hold that is not actually true. And that like the way that I found to really support me is by by naming those stories that my inner critic tells me. So so even now using the example of the um, hurrying, my belief, underlying belief would be that people think I'm wasting their time if I don't go as fast as possible. And so being able to name that, like, oh, I, I notice I'm having attention here because I believe you will be annoyed at me if I take longer than expected and realizing very often that indeed those stories that I've created are just stories and are not the reality at all like that that is helpful but still yeah part of the narrative that my inner critic definitely tells me often wow this is so so interesting this idea of naming the story of using that as a mechanism to counterbalance your inner critic right mm -hmm. um would you say that that is i'm trying to understand what exactly you mean with naming the story is it about self-expression mm -hmm. is it really about like in the situation speaking up to what you're feeling and saying okay this is my story right now i feel that i will waste your time or is it something that you can also just do internally I think the first step is definitely being aware of it. So naming it internally and, and being able to clearly name it because often I feel like this critical stories that we hold are not, are entangled with a lot of different stories, right? From past, present, future. And it's not so easy to be very, very clear about what specifically is triggering you in the moment. So I think That is a prerequisite to then be able to express it and vocalize it externally, which I think is a, for me, a second step, which requires a courage and vulnerability and, and also a certain perceived level of safety because, yeah, um, you're expressing something that, that creates tension in you and, and believing that the other person will be able to receive it, I think is also important. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I, I strongly resonate with that, this idea of safety and trust, basically, right? You need to have a certain mm -hmm. level of trust in that connection to be able to do that. But to the first point, yeah, I I really like this idea of naming it clearly. Um, and I feel that's something I struggle with sometimes as well, not just with my inner critic or stories that hinder me, but also with things like emotions even, right? Mm. So you feel something's happening. Yes. You feel something's not right. There's something going on in your body like, oof. but then to be able to clearly state, okay, what is the emotion that I'm currently experiencing is surprisingly mm. hard. Mm. So I wonder if you have um, a method or some tips that you use for yourself to be able to indeed name those, either the stories of your inner critic or the emotions that you experience more clearly. Yes. So here, I think I, what helps me a lot is the language of poetry and just images, because very often I will feel emotions like, like shapes or like spaces or like, yeah, images that are not in the realm of emotions, but somehow represent the quality of the emotion that I'm feeling. And it's a way for me to be able to clarify then. So I, I use those words or images to try to approach it. And, and by exploring the image, I finally get to the, uh, to the core, to the essence. And once I know that, then I'm able to, 
yeah, to point at it more clearly and translate it maybe in a way that other people can understand better. Although, although even I would say that the ambiguity also adds because sometimes it's helpful to share the the image that is can be understood in many different ways and offer that to to the outside and see what they hear and see what what they see and sometimes it helps illuminate what you're not able to see in the moment right yeah mm, i love that so much that's beautiful laura thank you this first of all this idea of going through metaphors right like looking at your own emotions or what you're experiencing through the lens of like you say, an image or a shape or something that describes that feeling for you and then exploring that and then mm. coming to something that is clearer for yourself from the exploration of that image. But then I also incredibly love what you said afterwards, this, this ambiguity perhaps also adding to the conversation, not mm. always being only a problem and maybe even just communicating the image that you have as a method of and exploring that with others at the same yeah. time, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that's really nice. It's so poetic. Yeah. Mm, I, I, I noticed that I think I have the, the tendency to do the opposite. Like when I feel something, I try to remember like, okay, what does my body feel like? Where is the tension? What exactly do I feel? Is it a tingling? Mm -hmm. Is it a constriction? Is it heat? Whatever it is. And mm -hmm. then try to map that onto like the, you know, you can, you can look at those, kind of like atlases of emotion where, where people yes. have recorded which kind of emotions appear where in the body. Yes. And I think that that would be like my primary means of, of exploring that. But I love mm. this, this poetic exploration so much. Mm. Um, and I think yeah. I'm going to give myself permission to try that and to do that more. Mm. Mm, thank you, Laura. That's really beautiful. Of course. I'm also thinking about this well, thought experiment really that we designed once with another friend, which was around not using words to express emotions, but only the body. Um, so doing like a dance or, or just using the body in ways to express what you're feeling. And it doesn't have to be like a caricature of an emotion. It can be just really literally moving the body in the way that it wants to move. And I feel like that also helps me sometimes to, I mean, shaking or running or it just moving the body helps me often to, to clarify. And I think that would be another approach that I would use when I really cannot pinpoint like the, the emotion. So yeah, I just wanted mm -hmm. to offer that too. Yes. Yes. I agree. I think a consistent movement practice is also something that I am striving towards. I'm, I'm not fully there yet, but I'm, I'm definitely working on it. Beautiful. Yeah. Laura, I would love to go to another thing because earlier in this conversation, also you mentioned that you have these blocks in your calendar mm -hmm. that are reserved for some of your practices. And mm -hmm. if you are willing, I would love to know more about which kind of practices you consistently have on your calendar and how they work for you and what they do for you. Yes, of course. So in the mornings, I have a gratitude practice in which I basically write down the things that I'm grateful for. And so it's, it's three things that I'm grateful for every day and how I want to show up um, during the day and what would make this day like wonderful. And, and I feel like 
the days in which I really do it because I have to confess sometimes I skip it even though there's a calendar invite and I do notice it after time when I have skipped it consistently. Um, it really helps to bring this soft focus and yeah, that really helps me to feel good about myself or to feel grateful about the type of experience I'm living. Mm. I, I would love to know more about this concept of soft focus. Could you say something more about that? Yes. So I noticed that I associate focus with sharpness. Usually it's like you're zooming out everything that is not your focus point, And then you concentrate on that. And I find that gratitude, like setting an intention that is not a to-do list. So there's a difference between that. Um, helps me to remain receptive whilst also guided. And I think that is what I wanted to capture with soft uh, before mm. focus. Beautiful. I love it. Please carry on. <laughs> yeah. Then I have just blockers to breathe, which are not a necessary, well, they are a practice, but it's not a very guided practice. I don't do a specific pranayama practice every day. It's just a reminder to take perspective really. And especially when I have a day with many meetings and I'm running from one thing to another and managing a lot of things, I'm like, oh, and all of this is gonna pass. And, and this is a larger perspective. And what am I trying to accomplish here? And I think that like really what it is is a practice of detachment and, and expanding my awareness of, of like the larger uh, context and bringing the attention back to, to my, my body too uh, which sometimes I, I forget to do and then the last book that I have consistently throughout my calendar is around affirmations and this is the one that I think I have let slip the most in the past recent past um, it used to be a very important practice for me like just writing down affirmations and I noticed that especially when I started doing that I there was resistance around the affirmations because I feel like um, I grew up thinking that being humble is very important and I still believe that well I believe in equality right and I think there's no need to um, th that everyone has something worthy to to share and I feel like very often or when I started this journey I, I believed that having a good idea like thinking loving yourself maybe meant to be consider yourself above someone else, which is something that I now understand as a misconception, right? But I remember the resistance around the affirmation practice and, and, and actually it was surprisingly beneficial for me to, yeah, start writing down this, down these affirmations and see how my relationship to those words shifted, like from something that I almost carried shame around to owning it and being able to just like, yes, this is me. I am interesting I am whatever the affirmation is and and yeah it's a beautiful practice I, I invite everyone that feels resistance to do it to to play with it um and see what happens hmm. yeah um and I have an addition to that if if I may of course I have found that there is a different level of power that gets released from affirmations if you actually also speak them Mm, not yes. just write them yeah using using the voice because it kind of makes things real 
it mm. vibrates in your body. And then especially the fact that you hear yourself saying those words that kind of like rewires your brain even quicker, I feel, than just mm. writing them down. Mm, I agree. And I want to share something here that is um, an additional practice to that, which was incredibly powerful. And that happened just to loop it back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation of like the power of group practices. One of the most powerful experiences that I've had recently was um, around fear setting. So I think the other part of affirmations is like, okay, what is the fear that I'm holding, right? Like, what is my biggest fear? And in this practice that they offered, we were, we shared our biggest fear. And then people in the outside, so like we were three people. So like three other people would enact that fear. So you would experience your biggest fear somehow. And, and they would, yeah, vocalize it and just, yeah. So for example, if I say my biggest fear is to be rejected, then they would reject me. Like use language that is like very, very strong. And what was beautiful about it is that then the tension was released somehow. Like you lift your biggest fear, supposedly, obviously in a, in a theatrical way, but then it really, oh, you, for me, at least my experience was that I could let go of it, realizing that it's more the, the idea of it than the actual reality. Right. And yeah, I feel it has similar effect of like just releasing energy by well vocalizing and also by experiencing it in a controlled environment mm, i love it beautiful yeah and i agree i think the worst part about fear is the fear itself not the thing you mm. actually fear right mm. i think enabling yourself to go through those theatrical inactions of that fear probably helps you see that it's actually not that bad to be rejected or any other thing is like nothing happens basically. Um, and yeah, I've, I've had similar experiences. So that's cool. And I also feel that this reminds me of something that I feel strongly about when it comes to decision-making. And I think it's mm -hmm. very related to this and it's very simple. It's like the, the problem of decision-making is in not making the decision. Mm. That the tension arises simply from being in the state of not having decided yet. And the decision itself, I think, doesn't matter so much. It's just the act of deciding kind of releases the tension. And in that yes. sense, I think it's the same thing as with the fear. Releasing the tension around the fear is what matters. And that's something that I've been thinking about, thinking about a lot and also has come up with these conversations on the podcast a couple of times is this concept of like relating to self is almost exclusively about seeing what creates tension and then finding a way to release that tension in some mm. way. And that mm. could be physical, could be emotional, could be mental. You know, there's many ways of, of seeing what tension is, but in general, that's kind of like the work. That's the, the surfing of the waves of tension almost, so to speak. <laughs> and yes. so, yeah, what you said about fear just kind of like beautifully ties into that. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to remember that. Mm. Yes. Wow, Laura, I would love to ask you one more thing before then uh, the end of the conversation arrives. And mm -hmm. that is something like, I wonder if you, if you had any moments recently in which you were particularly proud of the way that you relate to yourself or the way that you showed up to yourself, the way you were compassionate with yourself. 
Is there anything that comes to mind? Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think two images, two moments are coming to mind and they are not grandiose. So I don't know if I'm, yeah, when I hear particularly proud, there's a part of me that thinks that I need to give a very dramatic example that is <laughs> extraordinary, <laughs> which is not the case. There are small practices, but I think they showcase the, my journey. And there are things that I would have done differently a couple of years ago or maybe even months ago and, and that I now do differently. And so the first example was, um, was recently, was like three weeks ago, I was going through a very intense period at work and was feeling a lot of responsibility and a lot of, yeah, a big sense of duty <laughs> and, and a desire to really um, get things done. And I was feeling very overwhelmed simultaneously. And so I even noticed that I could not sleep properly. And this happened consistently for two days. And then one of those days I was like, you know what, I'm going to take the day off tomorrow. I'm taking the day off to recharge and to reconnect and to be able to just be with myself. And and I did that. And it didn't make sense to my critical part who thinks that, well, is the aware of all the tasks that are still open and all the meetings that I had to reschedule and all the things. And, and still, I decided to show up for myself in the way that I would have done for someone I love, like take care of yourself first and, and see the, the larger perspective too. And understand that this sense of urgency is probably reframable. <laughs> And yeah, so I, I love that I did that and, and that I was able to choose myself. And the second moment that just came to mind was very recently. So I'm here with a mutual friend, Anine and, and Kayo, who was also both of them have been in your podcast. And the first day I arrived here in, in Cairo, they had planned a beautiful excursion on the sea in this boat, like, um, yeah, just something that I really was looking forward to. And I also noticed that I was very low on, on energy, given the, the travel and the fact that I had just arrived. And so I decided to not join them and just be with myself in my hotel room, sipping a tea and then go to bed early. And really not feeling a sense of missing out or a guilt of supposedly disappointing their expectations. Like I felt just absolute peace with my decision and with the fact that I was listening to my needs and honoring them and communicating them clearly, not making up a story about anything, just saying, I'm feeling tired and I think this would be more nourishing to me right now. And knowing that they will accept it, I think these are the ways in which I want to keep showing up for myself and also the people I want to surround myself by, right? People that accept that and, and celebrate me for that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. I think that's so inspiring just to hear how people love themselves mm. in, the, in the, in the verbal kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that what you said, this one phrase you said, um, I want to show up like I would have done for someone that I love. Mm. I think that's so beautiful that this way of phrasing it of, yeah, perhaps even looking at yourself as an external person that you love and then asking yourself, 
how would I show up for, for that person? And mm. then doing that for yourself. Mm. Um, beautiful. Laura, thank you so much. Um, mm. I have two more questions. Uh, one is a, a traditional question now that I have asked every single person <laughs> on the podcast. Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with the question. The question is, what is the question that you would have loved to answer on this podcast, but that it didn't ask you? I think it's a question that we pointed at, but maybe not in this specific way, which is how does your relationship to yourself influence your relationship to others? Mm. That's a very juicy subject. I think you're going to have to come back, Laura. <laughs> I think we can <laughs> easily, so. yes, I think we, we could easily fill a whole podcast recording with, with just that <laughs> subject. I think that's beautiful. Mm, yeah, I would really love to explore that with you maybe in the future. Oh, I shall think about that, but I think the answer <laughs> may be yes. <laughs> and then before we part ways, I would also love to ask you, is there anything that you want to share with people listening to this podcast? Can they follow you somewhere? Can they read your thoughts? Or is there anything that you think people should do when they want to improve their relationship to themselves? Um, yeah. Feel free to share. Yeah, so I will refrain from going to the shoots. I, I think I will only offer the things that I, I have to share, which is basically I one of my practices is really trying to share my inner world. And the way I do that is mostly through images and a couple of maybe poetic words, just short thoughts that maybe trigger a reaction, maybe not, both are okay. And I do that mostly on Instagram, so they can... Find me on Instagram. Um, my name is my name, and then there's a <laughs> um, underscore. So Laura Tiencera underscore is my handle. I'm available in most of social media channels. So also on Twitter, I'm trying to share my thoughts more. Although to confess, my practice hasn't been very consistent in the last weeks, but I will be back. And I'm also working on. Um, longer written pieces on medium and potentially a newsletter that has been in the making for mm. <laughs> ever but maybe soon maybe or maybe not will will be launched but yeah if you follow me on on those channels you will be in the know of the projects that i'm working on and i think that's it i i will just invite everyone to be curious about their relationship with themselves and to keep listening to your podcast for more ideas. Thank you so much, Laura. And yes, I can attest to the fact that to the fact that Laura's Instagram is wonderful and I always really enjoy her, her stories. I will make sure that I will post links in the description of this podcast to all of the things you mentioned so that people can easily find you. And then the only thing left for me is to wish you a wonderful day, Laura. Mm, thank you so much for this. I feel very nourished and very energized. And yeah, looking forward to maybe part two. Beautiful. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, 
and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.